Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. This show is brought to you by TalkShoe, where anyone can create their own internet talk show. Check it out at T-A-L-K-S-H-O-E dot com. Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, this is Jules, and welcome to the next episode of Traveling to Italy. Uh, tonight, we're going to talk about uh, Umbria. Uh, before I do that, just a couple of uh, quick uh, mentions uh, in terms of housekeeping. Um, I do have a new blog at italyjules.blogspot.com, and uh, also I have another uh, podcast, which is called Italian Home Cooking, that uh, you may be interested in. Uh, if you if you like this uh, this one, uh, in addition, uh, this show airs uh, Wednesday evenings at 11 p.m. If you'd like to come on and talk with me live or chat using our uh, text uh, chat engine, just go to uh, talkshoe.com. Okay, uh, let's let's get started with with Umbria. Now, uh, the uh, Umbria uh, is is a region like Tuscany. And it is definitely somewhat uh, less traveled. There's, there's certainly tourists there, but it's, it's less than places uh, like, like Tuscany. Uh, personally, I've been to Umbria twice, and I haven't been all over Umbria um, to, to all the different uh, cities or most of the different cities as I have been in, in Tuscany. So instead of really talking about the entire region, uh, I'm going to do what I should do, which is talk about the areas that I know. And uh, let's uh, let's talk about the location of Umbria. A lot of people perhaps have never heard of it. Um, basically, if you, if you have Rome, and then you go north to uh, Lazio, which is the um, region uh, north of Rome, including Rome, and then north of there is Umbria. If you're coming in the other direction, you have Florence, then Siena, and then below that is the northern part of Umbria. So it's below Tuscany. So that gives you a, a general idea of, of the location. Uh, getting there is, is quite simple. Uh, there are many trains from the major uh, cities, like Rome and Florence uh, and other places, that, that go to the various uh, towns in Umbria. Uh, there are certainly buses from a lot of towns to towns for the smaller places. And uh, one of the things that... I guess is, you know, I'm, I'm not exactly saying that I would strongly recommend, but I think it's a great idea if you can to rent a car. And, and I know it's it's a little expensive now to rent cars and uh, to pay for gas in, in Italy, but there's so many little tiny towns within Umbria that if you have a car, it's just a, a much less of a hassle and you can see more places and things like that. But I do realize, of course, there's the expense, so trains and, and buses always work well. Um, again, the, if you can think of Umbria as a kind of wide-open country, a lot of uh, rolling hills uh, in the center and uh, southwest, 
and uh, also kind of just in the west in general. On the east, a bit higher hills, not quite mountains, but as you get all the way to the the uh, northeastern part of Lumbia, you are talking about uh, not major mountains, but certainly mountains. Um, the area that I've spent most of the time in has been in the southwest and uh, northwest of, of Umbria. And this whole area is, it's always hard to describe things verbally, but think of it as, as an enormous valley with these hill towns jutting out, as a, almost as if they were shot up uh, by a rocket just jutting out of the landscape, and then the towns are naturally built on, on top. Uh, we can certainly imagine that that was done for for safety reasons, uh, you know, back in in days of the uh, the Etruscans and Romans and things like that. Now it turns out that the reason for this geographically is actually the opposite. It's not that something jutted up from the valley; it's actually that this area was volcanic um, many millions of years ago, and there's a a rock called tufo, which is a very soft. Um, volcanic rock, and you can almost think of it as if the whole area was at the top of these hills with the soft uh, stone, and then over the years, the erosion of uh, water erosion, wind erosion, kind of left certain of these hill areas. Anyway, that's enough of a geography lesson. Let's get down to uh, places to see. Uh, my, the town that I uh, love the most and is certainly... Um, it's not the biggest town. It's certainly one of the largest towns in this area, and that is Orvieto. Um, you may not have heard of Orvieto, or if you have, you may have heard of the wine called Orvieto, which is a, a very good uh, white wine, and certainly you'll drink that if you go to Orvieto. Easily accessed uh, by train. If you're driving, you'll sort of park at the edge of the town. And again, it's one of these towns that juts straight up out of the, out of the valley. And um, my understanding of most of this area is that in ancient times the Etruscans, um, who I don't know much about, but um, they were the people uh, pretty much before the Romans in, in a lot part of central Italy, uh, eventually taken over uh, by, by the Romans. Now the nice thing about this town, uh, it's, it's very small uh, from end to end. It's less than a mile, uh, about a 15-minute walk, which is a real easy, you know, like I said, you park at the end or you take the train, and it's, it's a great uh, kind of strolling town. Uh, you can see most of the town within probably a half a day, three-quarters of a day, uh, if you want, certainly if you want to stay overnight, uh, which which I did. We, we took two days there and um, I think mostly ate a lot <laughs> uh, during that time. So what can you see in, you know, in um, Orvieto? Um, as usual, there's a Duomo, uh, central uh, cathedral. And this particular one has a lovely uh, facade on it. Um, it's very uh, intricate architecture and um, base reliefs, arches, columns, spires, sculptures. It's a very, very ornate uh, facade. And, and the other part of the Duomo is uh, kind of, if you can think of, layers of green and white horizontally striped marble that uh, are around the, the rest of, of, the, uh, of the Duomo. Um, I did read somewhere that it was described as one of the great uh, Gothic buildings in Italy. I certainly can't uh, say that for sure as far as I'm concerned, but I did, I did read that. And um, there are certainly, as, as in many of the Duomos, a lot of uh, artwork interior, uh, painters like uh, Fra Angelico and uh, Gazzoli, um, etc. 
Uh, there is a nice piazza uh, right next to the Duomo, as there usually is. And there's also a Palazzo Soliano uh, dei Papi, uh, which has another museum in it. Uh, so if you want museums and you want churches, uh, you're, you're in good shape there. Uh, in addition, there's a, a nearby piazza. Like pretty much everything's nearby because it's such a small uh, place. And uh, that's Piazza della Repubblica. And it's, again, nice piazza, you know, cafes, restaurants, that sort of thing. But what I found the most interesting and what I would highly recommend is there's a, um, a medieval tower, tower called Torre del Moro, and you can walk up the tower. I don't know how many steps, but it's, it's many hundred steps to get up to the top of the tower. Um, my kids obviously ran up, and I, and I kind of did pretty good the first three quarters or so. And from the top, it's just a fantastic view of the town and the surrounding valley and that sort of thing. And we just kind of strolled up there uh, on top and for a while just kind of looked at the different views and the different directions. So, so that, was, uh, that was nice. Now, these are the things that, that most people would see, what I've mentioned so far, but my favorite thing to do and see in Orvieto is actually not these things. Um, what is, is, is caves. And again, it's a little, maybe a little difficult to, to see in your mind, but because of the soft rock, underneath the city, over the centuries, were built this honeycomb of caves. Uh, literally over a thousand caves that are interconnected. Um, these were pe uh, places where people stayed. They are also uh, where they sometimes they made uh, olive oil, uh, wine cellars. Um, I did hear from a guide when I was there that uh, people also kind of hid there when there was, um, I guess, siege and that sort of thing. Um, Again, that's, that's from the guide. I don't know if that's 100% uh, true, but that's what the guide told us, so it sounds pretty good anyway. And uh, the other thing that's interesting is there are these deep wells that literally from the, the underground caves were dug down hundreds of feet uh, into the rock uh, until they hit water. And the most interesting thing of all the caves that I saw and again, we saw these different places that were olive uh, oil areas and wine, wine cellars and things like that. But there's this one area where inside this cave, um, again, these caves, you're, you're talking about the size of a sort of a very large living room um, would be some of the caves. You know, some were larger, obviously some were smaller. But in this particular cave, there were all these tiny little cubby holes carved into the rock, literally hundreds of cubby holes. Um, surrounding, so the entire room looked like it had these holes all around it, and certainly no one uh, could figure out precisely what that was for when the guide asked, and when the guide told us, we were all pretty amazed. What they were were actually pigeon homes, so they built these um, cubby holes so that the pigeons and other birds would come into the caves from the outside, and actually they were on the perimeter of the, uh, of the hill, and they would live there, and then the people down there would kill and eat the birds. Uh, so it was it was a good source of food uh, when they were down in, in the caves, which I found uh, pretty fascinating. Uh, also, these caves are the type of thing where if you went without a guide, you would never come back. Um, you, you must have a guide. Uh, they are very intricate, and when you're walking through from cave to cave, you just pray that uh, the guide knows where they're going because there's no way you could remember uh, your way out. 
Okay, so uh, that's uh, that's it for Orvieto. And the next place that I'll uh, talk about is called Spoleto. Um, Spoleto can be reached again by train or, or bus. And Spoleto is in the center uh, of, of Umbria. And it's, you may have heard of Spoleto. It's famous for a, an art festival, art and music festival, and that's uh, called the uh, Festival dei Due Mondi. Uh, Due Mondi means two worlds. And it was begun in, in 1958 uh, by uh, famous composer Giovanni Menotti. And the idea was to, to mix uh, Italian and American talent, hence the two worlds. Um, it's also interesting that there is a, a sister festival in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, <laughs> uh, of all places. And the art festival, unfortunately, when I went, uh, it's one of these kind of difficult things about traveling anywhere uh, in the summer, is if you're in the dead of summer, you're going to hit tons of tourists, but you're going to get more things like festivals. If you're on the edges, like the, you know, kind of from the middle of June or middle of September, you're going to have a lot less tourists, but you won't find as many festivals. So I did not go there at the time of the festival, and certainly, um, you know, if you look online, you can find uh, lots of information about the art festival. But it's certainly a, a, a good place to see. Uh, again, very, very small um, town. Uh, I would say probably a little smaller than Orvieto, um, a bit more on a hill. So there are some, I wouldn't say steep uh, climbs, but it's you're definitely going uh, up up hills and, and down hills uh, in, inside the city. And what's to see there? Uh, there's, of course, just strolling around the town. Um, one of the famous attractions is um, a castle. And uh, uh, you'll see a lot of times when you go to Italy on the map something called a Rocca, R-O-C-C-A, and, and that is a, a, a castle. Basically, and, and almost every single town in Umbria has a rocca. Even the very small towns, I'm sure they were they were built for as as fortresses and the places where the um, nobility stayed and such. Uh, that particular uh, castle is only to be seen with a guided tour, uh, which we did, and it was it was pretty good. It wasn't a great tour, but I would still certainly recommend going to the rocca because it's a it's a, a wonderful. Um, you know, structure, and um, there, there's certainly a lot to see there. The thing in this town, Spoleto, that I liked the most was actually a bridge, and uh, maybe because uh, I was once a uh, an engineer, uh, I appreciated it, but there's a, a bridge called Ponte del, del Torre, and imagine, again, think of this visually in your mind, that there's a gorge, so think of a big V shape. And in the middle of the V, draw a horizontal line, and that's the bridge. Holding the bridge up are long, literally the center one is over 200 feet long, straight down. So you can imagine many of these long, um, sort of, they're, they're pillars in the sense of what they're, what they're structure and used for, but there's many of them holding up the bridge, which is, is pretty fascinating. And you can walk across the bridge. There's not a very high wall when you walk across, um, probably maybe shoulder length or so, a little lower. My wife was certainly a little afraid about the kids uh, jumping up, uh, you know, wanting to go to the top of the, top of the wall and such, which, which makes sense. But just walking from one end to the other on, on the other end of the bridge, um, it's kind of um, just, just like a forest. Um, so you can, you can climb around there and, uh, and obviously walk back. 
and uh, this was uh, this was built um, in the medieval times, and obviously, of course, uh, maintained over over the centuries. The other thing about the Spoleto that I want to talk about is actually a restaurant, and uh, as as we usually do when when I go over to to Italy, in this case, I was with uh, the family. We uh, always look for a nice small trattoria, get a couple of guidebooks, and see what's recommended. And there was a, a tiny little place um, called Osteria del Mato, um, O-S-T-E-R-I-A, del Mato, M-A-T-T-O. And the reason I spell that is I would highly recommend you go there. When we went to the place, um, it was kind of this tiny, tiny little cafe with maybe about five or six tables. Uh, it was a very warm day when we were there, and nobody was sitting in the tables, so we weren't even sure if they were open. Uh, so we went in and asked uh, asked the people if they were serving lunch, and they said, oh, yes, yes. And they actually took us across a little alleyway to an outdoor area, which had, again, about five or six tables, and we sat outside. And there, there was uh, basically no menu, and what they said to us was, would you like to have the, the lunch meal? And certainly not knowing what to do, we, we said, sure. And it turned out that the lunch meal pretty much was anything that uh, the mother of the trattoria decided she was going to make that day. And this was about a seven-course uh, meal, um, including a couple of pastas, including um, zucchini flowers, um, which were... Um, which were dipped in um, and, and fried, uh, dipped in flour and fried. Um, we also had tripe, which was pretty uh, pretty disgusting, uh, which is in intestines. And uh, there were some some vegetable courses like uh, uh, greens and spinach and things like that. And they basically just kept bringing and bringing and bringing more food. And and you know we polished off uh, certainly between my wife and I a, a full bottle of wine, and we like to give the kids a little taste too. Uh, and, and I have no long, no idea how long I was at that, that restaurant, um, but it was certainly at least an hour and a half and probably more like two hours. Uh, it was just a great experience. The kids had fun. Uh, you wouldn't think kids would like sitting at a restaurant for, for two hours, but they thought it was fascinating just kind of bringing out this course after course. And the, uh, the man who ran the restaurant was just extremely friendly. Um, he gave us a little a cartoon caricature of himself and wrote the uh, the name of the place and his phone number and things like that. It was it was just a just a really fun experience. On the uh, on the way back cuz we did have a car, we were driving back to Orvieto area and um we went to a town called Narni, uh which sounds like uh, Narnia, <laughs> um the the book series that that a lot of the kids are reading these days in movies. And uh, in Narnia, Narnia, of course, there was another roca on a castle. We went up there, and I would definitely not recommend um, stopping in Narnia. Uh, we drove through the town. There, there wasn't much. Uh, it was a fairly plain Italian town. Uh, the castle we walked through, uh, you couldn't go in most of the rooms. Uh, there wasn't a lot of place for the kids to kind of run around and play. And um, it, it was, frankly, pretty boring. So uh, that wasn't a great time, but, but we only spent... Uh, probably less than an hour there because it just wasn't a heck of a lot other than the castle. Now, another place that we went to in Umbria, which we had a, uh, a fantastic experience, 
was um, was a lake, and this lake is called Trasimeno, uh, and in Italian it would go by Lago di Trasimeno. Lago means lake, and this is one of the largest uh, lakes in in Italy, and it's it's a ve- it is a very very large lake. Um, the town that we went to on the shore was called Castiglione del Lago. Um, very pleasant town, uh, and uh, it, we basically got there around lunchtime, you know, and, and ate as usual for however long, and and then we went to the Rocca there, which was Rocca del Leone. Uh, Leone means lion, and that was a fun place. Uh, that was a castle that was uh, more in ruins than most of the castles, but that's what was fun about it is that the kids got a chance to really run around. Um, and play and and run across the the, the walls and um, you know act like they were you know shooting out of the out of the top of the walls and things like that and and that was a, a really fun experience and, and I would definitely recommend that especially if you have kids um, going there but the highlight for us in in going uh, to the lake was actually going to the beach. Um, when you go down to the beach, it's a, a fairly uh, simple beach, uh, not not very deep, uh, but not very crowded at all when we were there. Um, so so kind of plain, but uh, it was like it's because we were, were alone with the place we went. It was it was great. Just uh, there, there were no people, probably within you know 100 200 feet of us, uh, might be the the next person who was there. Uh, one thing I, I should mention that is of interest to see in the lake is is an island. And it's uh, one of the islands, uh, the largest one is called Isola Maggiore. Maggiore means the major one, the large one, and Isola means means island. And you can take a boat there. Um, it's a pleasant trip. There are uh, three islands, and uh, Isola Maggiore is a very easy walk, and it's a nice thing to do is walk around the perimeter, and it shouldn't take you more than probably 45 minutes to an hour, depending on how often you stop. And uh, there's also a nice walk through some olive groves uh, to a church, uh, San Miguel Arcangelo, um, and and that's a that's a nice trip uh, to do. That's going to take you a good you know three hours to go there, walk around, come back, uh, maybe even longer. So you want to plan for that. But uh, we spent uh, most of our time again at, at the beach in the in the late afternoon, and the best part of it, it was a very interesting lake. Um, when we went into the water, it was extremely shallow, um, and we walked out, you know, another kind of 20 yards, another 20 yards, another 20 yards, another 20 yards, and we were probably about 100 um, yards from the shore, and it was still only up to our waist, uh, which the kids found fascinating because they could go out pretty far uh, without uh, getting in too much trouble. Uh, the other thing that the the kids had a lot of fun doing is the bottom of the lake was very very thick uh, gray clay, which was nice to walk on by the way. But the kids kind of made these sculptures. They kind of scooped up the clay on the shore and made a lot of sculptures uh, and and just had a good time. and And that was absolutely one of the highlights of of our trip uh, to Umbria. And I would I would highly recommend going going to the lake. Those are the major places that that I'd like to talk about. Um, so I'm, I'm going to turn the topic a little bit uh, off places to go and actually talk about the food in uh, in Umbria. Obviously, as in as in pretty much all of Italy, the, the food is excellent. Uh, same type of thing as you're going to find in Tuscany or in uh, 
the south or the north, there's a lot of uh, restaurants, uh, trattorias, which are more family-run restaurants, uh, pizzerias, and then these kind of bar, cafe places, which have a couple of tables and drinks and sandwiches and, and things like that. In terms of what uh, Umbria is known for uh, with respect to food, uh, perhaps the most famous thing are uh, truffles, which in Italian are called tartufo. And these are very uh, strong mushrooms. Uh, the flavor is extremely strong. And uh, personally, I had a, uh, I think it was a spaghetti. It might have been more like a linguine with uh, with a tartufo sauce. And it was a bit a bit too strong for me. But it, it's one of those things that you don't even mind not not liking it because it, you, you've experienced what uh, what they were famous for in in the area. So I would still recommend that you order something um, tartufo, maybe a, a bruschetta. Uh, with some some of the uh, truffles on top of it might be a good good way to start. As as with uh, Tuscany, uh, the wine and olive oil are also uh, excellent there. I mentioned before Orvieto, which is a nice uh, nice white wine, and other wines that are good are uh, Rubesco. You, know, you probably haven't heard of these wines, and Sagrantino, which is another name of the, of the, the grape. And the, these are nice red wines, um, nothing special in terms of you know, world-renowned, but, but they're nice and simple and, and best of all, of course, uh, inexpensive. The other thing that you'll see in some of the uh, parts near the, the Lake Trasimeno, and certainly the, the, the restaurants surrounding the lake and even nearby, of, of course, is going to be some fresh fish um, prepared uh, various different, different ways. Uh, other things that are kind of known for an Umbria, they have they make a chickpea and bean soup. There are a lot of beans that are that are cooked there, uh, which is a, a little atypical of, of the rest of Italy that I've that I've been to. They also make a nice uh, pepper coated salami. If you've ever had that, you can get that uh, in, in the United States and other parts of Italy. Uh, and, and if you've never seen it, it's think think of a, a Genoa salami type. Um, salami covered, I mean literally covered with pepper, pepper, and um, to the point of where the rounding is black. And uh, there's other meats, of course, like prosciutto and such. Another thing that's um, cooked here a lot that's, that you generally uh, wouldn't find elsewhere, you'll find it in, in other parts of Italy, but not necessarily in other parts of the world, are uh, wild boar, which is good. And the last thing I would say is something to be careful of, which is pigeons. Uh, pigeone, uh, be careful if it's on the menu. Um, I guess you can be uh, adventurous, but certainly I wasn't going to go there. Uh, the the last thing to go over briefly, I won't spend a lot of time on it, is, is shopping and what to buy in Umbria. Again, wine and olive oil are, are good things to buy. Uh, in particular, there are very nice ceramics. Uh, they're all made from a... Uh, come from a town called Deruta, um, so you'll see these, pot, these uh, ceramics and very brightly col colored and painted uh, all over Umbria, but they generally come from this, this one area. And um, other than that, the other thing that you'll find is uh, Perugina candy. You've probably seen it uh, here in the States and elsewhere in, in Europe uh, and, of course, uh, throughout uh, Italy, and, and that's a variety of different candies and cakes that are made in Perugia, and I have I have not been to Perugia, but 
Um, my understanding is the other two towns, from what I've read, that you certainly should see on any trip uh, would be Perugia and Assisi, um, which I, I would recommend, again, only through, through reading. Okay, well, that's, that's what I have for, uh, for this evening. I uh, hope you enjoyed our talk about uh, Umbria. And uh, check out my other podcast, Italian Home Cooking, and, uh, and check out uh, the TalkShoe website where you'll find uh, a ton of, of different podcasts about a variety of topics. So for this evening, uh, this is Jules signing off. Ciao. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.